ladies and gentlemen. Well, every generation faces its challenges. I was uh, in the generation that saw music change dramatically and rebellion come into America like it had never come in. I remember as a uh, probably, I can't remember which grade I was in, elementary grade, I was in a home and uh, they were talking about the Beatles and, you know, Beatles to me, little insects, you know, running around. I had no clue what was going on. Well, of course, I would learn how the whole uh, rock genre would come in and uh, would simply uh, express the rebellion, the frustration, and uh, the, the deep problems that had been in our country for several decades. But uh, this is what uh, we had to face. John Lennon, who was the most well-known of that first really famous rock group, uh, said when he was 26, uh, he told the London reporter, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. And I remember that kind of a perspective. I remember uh, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, which was a uh, rock musical and gospel and these other things coming out. Obviously, I did not see them, but there was a lot of talk about them and the irreverence and the attack on Christianity uh, was uh, very prevalent in Western civilization. Well, you're facing that, but in an even greater way in our day. Several days ago, it came out that DC Comics has a new superhero. You may have heard that. His name is Jesus. Uh, DC Vertigo will star Christ himself in an upcoming comic series called Second Coming, which features Jesus returning to Earth on a mission to set the gospel straight. The plot summary reads... Uh, uh, about uh, that way. The series was written by Mark Russell and illustrated by Richard Pace and will debut in a couple of months. But it is a very blasphemous uh, comic, uh, comic series. Instead of the biblical account of Christ's return, it depicts Jesus, now get this, as a failure who disappointed God by getting crucified when he first walked the earth. He is sent back to learn how to be a real Messiah by learning from the superhero, Sun Man. Now, you say, well, that's obviously bad. I'm telling you, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids will read that. That's the generation that uh, you're going to be dealing with. And you've got to understand, young people, that the educational systems in America for the last plus hundred years have been teaching young minds humanism, especially on the university level. Now, of course, it's on the secondary, elementary, and preschool level, but it's uh, been there. And uh, evolution, of course, is the foundation of all of that. And then uh, the whole um, humanistic view of uh, uh, psychological uh, issues of mankind and and so on. It's uh, been just the indoctrination has been incredible that young people have faced. 
And now these are the young adults, and these are the millennial generation, this is the generation X before you. They have been steeped in this kind of, um, of reality. And the temptation for you is going to be, you know, this generation just isn't going to be able to be reached the same old way. Um, they, they don't think like we think. They're pagan. They are, uh, uh, they are just not God-centered. They don't have a clue as to the values that we hold to. Now, young people, on the one side, it's very important that you understand the culture you're facing, but don't fall into that trap. What kind of culture did the Apostle Paul minister to? Pagan, a Greek-Roman um, type of humanism, so to speak, polytheism, and really a lot of philosophy. Uh, and, and so you could have made a great case back then that, you know, you just can't give the gospel straight out you know, you, you just got to understand these people don't think like we do. Uh, they don't even know what a Jewish background is. They don't know anything. And so therefore, we've got to sort of engage Greek-Roman culture to somehow get their confidence, and then somehow we can, through good logic, uh, get them to begin to think of the gospel. And uh, that's not how Paul approached it. That's not how the early church approached it. You see, they believed that the gospel was the power of God into salvation. Honestly, we wouldn't be here today if they had approached it that way. I want you to think about that. You would not be a Christian today, and the world would not be even in existence today, if the Apostle Paul and the other er, the apostles and the other early leaders of the church had not had a firm convincement that God's Spirit was able to take God's Word and change lives and change culture and that they did not have to dip to the culture of their day to reach it. Now think about that. We have a great debt, don't we, to, to this deep faith in the Word of God and the supernatural working of, of God. Now the reason I'm saying this is that this is what you all are facing today. You know, we give you all these reports like I just gave you about DC Comics, and it just makes your heart sick, doesn't it? Makes you, gives you just sort of almost a sinister feel about your culture, and in some ways that's very true. Satan is more and more, more just uh, obvious in his uh, different tactics that he's using. And it is truly a correct designation of our culture to call it neo-pagan. But instead of just being thrown, we need to realize, what else is new? <laughs> Have you been in paganism, Brother Seth, uh, in a culture that's pagan over the last year? Now, there's been Christian background in there, but it's pagan in its mindset. Brother Alexander is Ghana, got that kind of poly, or it's got different kinds of gods uh, there. But it's, it's not Judeo-Christian, except for the, where the Christian background has been. Nothing new. That's where they come from. And so we've got to understand that uh, this nice country that we had is not the same country that your forefathers had. But it's not much different than the world has been since the beginning of the gospel going forth. 
And so get that firmly embedded in your mind and do not fall into the trap of thinking, well, we've got to come up with some new adaptation of Christianity that will somehow slip the gospel into this crumbling, decadent culture. And uh, if you fall into that trap, I'm telling you, there's no power there. All right, with that background, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you would, here this morning. The book of Deuteronomy was the message of Moses, who is about to be taken home to be with the Lord, to the millennial generation. Well, that's a little twisting of it, but uh, it was to the new generation. Now, at this time, as they stood there on the east side of Jordan, ready to go into the land, the only ones living were the ones that were 19 and younger at the time of Kadesh Barnea, except for Joshua and Caleb. And You know, you think about how Joshua and Caleb stood out. You talk about a generation gap, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, that was quite, you know, it was a constant, um, clear testimony to what God, how God feels about those that believe him. Here you have Caleb and Joshua, older men, but they're as powerful. I'm telling you, no young warrior would have tried to attack them. They were two strong dudes. I mean, they, they had the power of God on them. And so everybody knew what God says he means. They had buried, all of them had buried their parents. There were none with parents of the, old, of the older part of this new generation. They buried all the grandparents. They had buried their older brothers and sisters. Can you imagine that? That's sobering. And so Joshua, the old man, gets up, not a mighty man of God, and says, let's go forward like we've been looking at on Sunday mornings. But to prepare them for that, Moses gives them a message to the new generation. May I commend to you the book of Deuteronomy to study? If the Lord Jesus used it more than any other Old Testament book by far in his messages, I think it is really worthy of your study from an Old Testament perspective. Because we know that the going into the land is the beautiful picture of the great inheritance that we have as believers spiritually. And the parallels are just glorious. And the teaching in the book of Deuteronomy can greatly help you. And you find not just uh, the warnings of the book of Deuteronomy, you also find the love of God just over and over and over in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, uh, the Lord Jesus points that out. But I want us to look at just one section here. This is a message to the new generation. And Moses is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, endeavoring to remind them of the sins of their fathers. He does that in the earlier chapters. He says, you've been circling this mountain way too long. <laughs> been in the wilderness way too long. Of course, God had judged them the 38 years 
uh, were because of the unbelief and rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. And so it's reiterated to them in the first three chapters the wrong steps that were taken. And basically, it's learn from your forefathers. Did you know you can learn a lot of good from your forefathers? And you should. God has one generation to teach the next generation. In fact, you find in Titus 2, the old men are, and the old women are to teach and to be an example to the younger generation. But you also can learn by the mistakes of the older generation. And that has been, over the last few years, something that I have become more and more aware of is my appreciation for my father's and older generation and for the stands and faith that they had, but also then looking at the weaknesses of the generation prior to me in between and where we are now in Bible Christianity because of those weaknesses. You don't want to be critical. You want to always be thankful for every generation that's passed down the faith to you. But you don't want to repeat the same mistakes. I've had the privilege on a number of occasions over the last few years of being with young preachers. And uh, one of the things that I have to admit is my generation didn't learn their lessons fast enough. My generation, many will agree about what is right, but they've lost their children. I've been with many of my classmates and watch them cry across the table about their children going into compromise over and over, just recently. And I've seen many of my generation lose their churches because of compromise. I've had the weather of the storm being on Baptist World Mission Board for many years. I've seen lots of missionaries come home that I knew and come home for the wrong reason. You need to learn. And let me just say, you young people do not need to get discouraged about our culture, number one, or the weakness in the last 50, 60 years. You need to say, wait a second. It's pretty clear now. I'm of a generation that can get it. We're not like frogs in the kettle with the heat turning up and you don't realize it's getting so hot you're going to boil to death. And that's sort of what happened to my generation. We were so used to everything. Haven't you been jolted over and over by messages that you heard? I mean, it's a little discouraging, isn't it? You know, my Sunday night messages haven't been a whole lot of fun. Talk about all the places that uh, fundamentalism and evangelicalism has deterred from real faith. And one of the fears I have when I give that is, well, what's the use? But I want you to see it from this perspective. And that is, we can take the land. Young people, it's my deepest burden of my heart that I will learn every lesson I can learn from my own life, from my generation, the previous generations. Pass it on to you and for you young people to go way farther than, than we've even begun to go. That's what God's will is. As you've heard me say over and over, God made no mistake when you were born. He made no mistake in the family that you were born. 
you are here by divine appointment for a very important role in the days ahead. And I believe that the uh, young generation, obviously they were 38 years older, let's say the oldest of them, some math genius, what's 38 and 19? Real quick, boom, boom. That's uh, 50, okay, thank you. Um, so there were some 57 year olds and to you that's old, you know. Uh, but they were still young uh, compared to Joshua and Caleb. But um, as they stood there, they have had some lessons learned. You don't see one person griping. You don't sense any disunity. You sense a deep convincement that we need to believe God. They had seen enough miracles and they had known what God had done getting them out of Egypt. Some of them remember that. The 58, seven-year-olds do remember walking across the Red Sea. And they had learned that the wilderness is not a good place to live and that the promised land is the place to be. And so by having really a deep fear of God and an understanding of the weaknesses of the previous generation and thank God for the strong leaders that encouraged them, Moses, Moses Joshua, and Caleb, I think every man was ready to go. Now they're probably all nervous, <laughs> scared to death. I've stood there. Uh, on the east side of Jordan and looked over and where Jericho would have been and for the ancient world that would have been very intimidating to see that massive city sitting over there. This inexperienced, non-trained group of people. But there was a faith that was there. And I want to encourage you, don't, don't, don't get discouraged that Unfortunately, some fundamentalism and evangelicalism have been carcasses in the wilderness. Be thankful that you have a life to live, not to make the same mistakes. That you can do exactly what the early Christians did. We are still in the same age. Jesus is with us till the end. You have an enviable time. Every older preacher here will agree with me. What an opportunity you have to learn. That's why I constantly try to help you learn. And I think that I believe fully that God intends to do mighty things in the days ahead. So if you look with me at Deuteronomy 4, we're only going to touch on different aspects of uh, this and then finish with the first commandment in chapter 5. But I just want to show you the really the tenor of the message of Moses from the Holy Spirit to this army that's ready to go, this group of people that are ready to trust God. Verse 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. He starts off by just clearly stating the key 
to the abundant life of, of the promised land is to do what? Hearken. Now what did the Lord Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. It doesn't change. Now we all understand the law's purpose does not save, nor does it sanctify in itself. We've talked a lot about that. But my friends, the law tells us who our God is. And if we love our God, we will hearken to every aspect of what is right. And, and I want you to look at verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that for the purpose ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commanded you. The Lord Jesus said, the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven is the one who keepeth the least commandment and teaches others likewise. In other words, it's not necessarily the least commandment's the key commandment, obviously, but I fully embrace the Word of God as truth and as the full direction for my life. I will not minimize any part of the law. When you say no to God on any level, you have become disobedient and it comes out of unbelief. Now obviously the grace of God is that which has to uh, enable us to keep the law, but uh, every part of it we are to respect and keep as it applies to our lives. Now you look back as these folks did to what the problems were, unbelief, disobedience of their parents. I look back to the last 80, 90, 100 years and we saw the compromise to stay together in denominations, to have peer approval. Folks, you, you're going to face that just as much as the denominational pressure of, of 1908. Um, the matter of uh, what I said earlier of thinking you have to reach this changing generation by changing with it. Materialism and the comfort zone has killed this generation of, uh, uh, of leaders. And then the reaction and unbelief about God's ability to give a mighty move of God and to try to explain away the great promises of God. And there's many more things we, you need to learn from that. In other words, has compromise and mass evangelism worked? And the answer is no, it's devastating. Has the capitulation to culture changed culture? And the answer is a resounding no. If any generation ought to see, you know, this is a big deal to do right, it ought to be yours. Now folks, for, you know, in fundamentalism, we're one of the few places that still hold a distinction in dress. And compared to other things, it's not what you call one of the cardinal doctrines. But as distinction between the genders, is, has that begun to, to be a problem? Now folks, evangelicalism, Bible Christianity is at fault for transgenderism. You say, well, you know, everybody else does it. 
The issue is not, you're not spiritual when you hold to some particular standard, but it goes deeper than that, you see. There's a reason why we hold on to it. Because this matter, God made them male and female, that's a big deal. Uh, the matter of uh, homosexual marriage, where did that all start? With a light view on divorce. So marriage became less and less the sacred uh, 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 unity that God meant it to be. So everything has ramifications. And so don't add to or take away from the Word of God. I can tell you, fellows that are going to be in the ministry, it isn't any fun to hold the line. I don't get this great uh, satisfaction out of we're tough here, you know. Oh, brother. I mean, it's just, whew. I, I have been screamed at in my office by people that... Uh, wanted to be married by me, performed the, the wedding, um, who were um, not, uh, you know, they'd been married before, and I wouldn't do it. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to have some mocking go on. But where are you going to end when you start capitulating? That's the point. You've got to go down deep into your soul. And who are you? Now, listen, I believe that the men and women at the east side of Jordan didn't have as great a responsibility as you folks do right now. We are living in the crowning age of the gospel because of what Christ did. And as you stand on your east side of Jordan, what your potential is is far greater than those soldiers believing God and conquering cities. And I'm telling you, that first generation that went across, they obeyed God. They learned, and they learned through some of the things we'll talk about in the Joshua series on Sunday morning. They learned when God said, we better do it. We better do it. And then it's interesting, if you look with me in verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them among you. Now, what's interesting about this, this doesn't go back to Kadesh Barnea. This goes back to just a short time before. So, this group that was learning from their forefathers by the negative also had already taken their first step of standing for God. They weren't standing there just because they were at the right age. They were standing there because they didn't follow Baal Peor. That's what it says. Uh, verse 4, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive. You're here because you didn't follow. Every one of you this day. Back in Numbers 25, as Israel was getting close to this here in Deuteronomy, we read, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. This was under the council of Balaam, as we learn later. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, the god, the system 
of Moab, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And it was so serious, 1 Corinthians 10, and using Israel as an example, says, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. That meant here that all these men standing here, somebody they knew well had fallen. It also meant they refused to do it. So they had their first test, didn't they? So this wasn't a totally naive group. <laughs> in fact, they had come through some other tests that you could line out there in the last few years, in the final years of the wilderness wanderings. So God had already tested them. Now, let me just say this. You need to thank the Lord that he's, he has protected you from Baal Peor. And let me just remind you, it's God's grace that has done it. You realize where you could be? I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand, but most of you probably have somebody close to you that has fallen to Baal Peor, so, so to speak, that you went to school with, that you were in the youth group with, that, that you have as a cousin, family member. You've seen them fall. Yes, God doesn't wipe them out as he did to teach them this at this point. But you're coming even to college to prepare to serve the Lord was a test you passed. You say, well, Pastor, I only came here because my parents told me to. That's a, good, that's a good passing the test. Okay. Believe me, you don't stay here if that's your only motivation. If you notice that, I mean, it has to be your motivation. And you've seen young people over the years, if it was just parents, that's a good start. But if it doesn't internalize, well, it's not going to work uh, in an intense ministry preparation place. Uh, but thank God. Listen, take time regularly to praise the Lord for his goodness to you. Your life could be shattered right now. You know, I don't want to be uh, overly negative here, but some of you girls could be single moms right now miserable position to be in. Uh, you guys could have be in a place that there's no way you could be in the ministry. Right? Aren't you thankful for God's goodness? Aren't you thankful you listened to your parents? Aren't you thankful that you looked at the good things from the previous generation? So he's encouraging them here. So as you face this inevitable challenge, don't get discouraged. God's ready to do mighty things. But do learn. Do learn the lessons. And then be grateful. And then let's uh, look just a couple more verses. I'm not going, I don't have time, obviously, to go into the whole book uh, or the whole chapter. But it speaks of the importance of the law and how he had given it and how they stood before Mount Sinai and God had revealed themselves and they had given themselves to the Lord at that time and, and then what all had happened. And then we read in verse 29, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You see here that the law 
was given to show you your need of him. Obviously for salvation, but for him now. Haven't you had, just in preaching prior to coming to college and during college, haven't you had the law just come in on you and you realize, man, am I a mess? Okay. Well, that's been good. And if you understood grace, you began to get on the ground of, I need to seek the Lord with all my heart, and I am beginning to find Him. You see, the law, the heart is like a dark cellar full of lizards, cockroaches, beetles. No reference back to the other. <laughs> and all kinds of reptiles and insects, which in the dark we see not. But the law takes down the shutters and lets in the light, and we see the evil. And so... Don't be fearful of just letting God work in your heart because the thing that will cause you to be able to go into the land and have great victory is for you to seek Him and find Him. So we talked about on Sunday. Do you think after Joshua met the captain of the Lord of Hosts that that helped him <laughs> as far as his encouragement and courage? Absolutely! He had fallen on his face before God Almighty, a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ. And the presence of God was in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and God's presence was there, and those people knew it. And for you, you have the indwelling Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, with all the pressures of the day, and all the movement changes, and all the things that we talk about, if your heart is set on, Lord, I believe you, and I, am, I want to learn from the past, I am not going to be discouraged, if you start meeting with God, you're going to be just fine. Have you found out every time you meet with the Lord, everything changes? <laughs> and you've got to keep meeting with the Lord. You can forget that. But it's a wonderful thing. Your whole paradigm. I always feel sorry for someone that really has not sought the Lord. Now, the Lord's good to knock on their door. But uh, you know, that's going to be so key for you. And that's why, you know, as you hear preaching, oh, no, I... I'm just so weak in that area. Well, God's got the grace and just seek Him. And you know, it's just, you remember when you were a kid and you couldn't do something and mom came along and encouraged you? You know, that touch of your mother or your dad saying, son, you can do it. I know you failed. I know you struck out in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, you know. Uh, but uh, you're going to make it as a baseball player or whatever. It was always nice to have that encouragement. I want to say this as reverently as I can, but our Heavenly Father comes in what an encouragement. That's why I sent my son. You're forgiven. Now get up by the grace of God and let's go forward. See, when you meet him, you think, okay, everything gets into this. This can be done. It's not about me. It's about him. And that leads into chapter 5. And there you have the re-giving of the Ten Commandments. And I can't go through all of those. They're stated a little differently, but basically the Ten Commandments. And by the way, for him to restate them in a number of other commandments, does that mean it's important? This was given 38 years or 38 plus years later. And, uh, but the one I just want to uh, mention is verse 7. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image. You can't depend on anything else in life other than God. That will be your God. 
But the second commandment about the graven image may be more critical in some ways. Don't reshape your God into a God that allows you to do what you want to do. That's what graven image worship is. And I think this may be referring even to like uh, the golden calf type of worship. Call it Jehovah, but it's, it's an image out of your own mind. Uh, and, and by the way, your peers are reshaping God all over the place right now. They are reinterpreting scripture and allowing pop culture to be okay with a God who is holy. And that's, see, you don't ever have to be critical of your peers that may go this route. Just be loyal to your God and let God give you the love through them, but don't change. And have a message that God can convict with. Now you may have to confront, but it isn't that you are superior. It's just that you're loyal to your God. You have sought him, you found him, and now you don't want to serve anything else than God completely. Well, I just wanted you to see, especially since we're in the Joshua, Joshua perspective, Deuteronomy is a tremendous book. It's to your generation, and it really applies to you right now. I think you'll find that to be extremely helpful. And I, I do want to encourage you, be excited. Every day you get up, say, Lord, what a privilege to live today. Thank you for having me born when I was born. Lord, I got to learn every lesson I can learn. I don't want to rationalize anywhere. Every time I rationalize, I've been miserable. Lord, I want to know you. And I'll tell you what, Jericho sure seems impossible, but I'm going to believe you to bring those walls down. And I believe that what maybe the past generations have, because of unbelief, have failed to do, it's not because we're any better, but by the grace of God, if we'll believe him, he'll do them. Don't be bound by the failures of the past. Learn and go forward in the power of God. Let's bow for prayer. As you bow before the Lord here, I don't know how the Lord might have used this. There's sort of a broad perspective here, but certainly does apply to your generation. And, and uh, maybe you found yourself getting a little overwhelmed or discouraged. Maybe you, find, you know that that you're, you're adding or taking away from the scripture by not fully obeying and rationalizing. Uh, maybe you're not seeking as you ought to. Um, just something resonated that God uh, gave here this morning. And you'd say, Pastor, I, I am very burdened that, that I can cross Jordan and have the victory that God wants me to have. I don't want to be bound by the past. I don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. I would love to have pure faith in a, in a God that will do anything. Let him change me through trials and all and break me. I want to be a man of God like Joshua and Caleb and these that chose to follow the Lord. And I realize that the opportunity I have today is far greater <laughs> than they had. And God did touch my heart and I need to get that really clear in me. Uh, that it's not about any movement or anything. It's about my relationship to God and the Word of God, and I want to be fully loyal and obedient to Him. It's in some aspect, God dealt with you about that. Would you just slip your hand up here this morning? God bless you. All right, you may put your hands down. Now, Lord, would you work in hearts, and Lord, I just pray that you'll take these words, may they be remembered, and Lord, with this generation here, uh, even in our college, realize 
they have a unique opportunity to really have their eyes wide open. Lord, may they not compromise or rationalize it one little bit. And Lord, would you draw nigh to them in a mighty way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.